All right, this morning we're going to be continuing in our series entitled, Am I in the Light? It's a series based in 1 John, and today we are going to be looking at chapter 2 of 1 John and verses 7 to 11. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or if you have a scripture journal. And if you don't have a Bible today and you would like one, we do have some available at the welcome desk and we'd be happy to give you one before you leave today. 1 John 2, verse 7 to 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, today we come to your word. And we pray that we would come with receptive hearts. God, you want to speak to us. You want to get our attention today. And we realize that of all the the cares and the distractions of our life, sometimes we crowd you out. And just being human, we, we miss things of God. And so today we just want to set our, our minds on you, turn our hearts towards you, and we know that these words that were written long ago still have impact, not because they are inspirational or convicting on their own, but it is because your spirit continues to speak through your word to us today. So help us to hear and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, saw this week, uh, Tina Turner passed away. Now, (laughs) last week I know I talked about uh, Def Leppard and Nirvana and, uh, you know, just you're thinking, who is this guy? Like, how old is this guy? Anyways, Tina Turner, I think she was like 83 or something like that, but, uh, you know, she was famous during probably those, those 80s, maybe before that as well. But uh, this song, What's Love Got to Do With It? And it's one of those catchy songs that, I mean, some of you are, are young and you're like, who's Tina Turner, right? You people in the front row. Carson, do you know who Tina Turner is? She looks familiar? Okay. I mean, let me, let me be honest. Like this was, Randy chose this picture. I throw her under the bus, but not really. She chose a good picture. Like some of them, you know... She, was, she liked her, her, her short skirts and stuff like that, so we chose a, a nice picture of, of Tina Turner. Um, but she sang this song, and it, it's a song that, how, okay, how many of you know this song, What's Love Got to Do? Okay, you've, you've heard it, um, and let's sing it together. No, just kidding. <laughs> but once you start, you, you know, what's love got to do, got to do, got to do? That? Right, Karen, come on up here. No, I'm just kidding. It's a catchy tune, and it gets in your head, and now you're going to be, be singing it for the rest of the time. But 
this this song, I mean, where she's saying, what's, what's love got to do with it? It's like, what, who needs, what is it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? It's, it's just, it's a wounded song, and she, she obviously had wounds in her own life as well. Uh, but what's love got to do with it? It's, it's a, you know, your love is a secondhand emotion. I think she, she sings something like that. I won't sing anymore. So what's love got to do with it? And... It's quite fitting, actually, because what we're focusing on today, what we're going to hear today from the writer of 1 John, because the writer of 1 John thinks that love is actually pretty important. It actually has everything to do with it. Now, quick review, if you are are just tuning in, as it were, to our series here. We've been talking about these these three tests that John brings about in in this book tests of spiritual vigor or or authenticity, answering this question, am I in the light? So we've talked about, we're going to talk about three, and they're going to kind of be woven through. We'll probably come around to them again and again as we go through this book. But the three tests, talking, the first test being the truth test, and that is what you believe about Jesus, about his nature and his work. The obedience test. How you live like Jesus and walk in obedience to his commands. That was where we focused on last week. And we talked about this obedience really being a natural outgrowth of an intimate life with God. If we follow him, well, that's what followers do. Followers follow. They walk in obedience to his command. And then there's the love test. How do we love? Do we love like Jesus? John has said last week, the way... If we claim to live in him, we must walk as Jesus walked, live as he lived. And the way Jesus walked was a life of love. So this, so love test, this is another metric of authentic spiritual life, the Christian life. And this is the one we're focusing on today. Now, as we look at these verses, a few verses here, I want to go through a few initial observations. What do we, what do we initially see? First of all, verse 7, it starts out. With this, this term, he, he, who is he talking to? And he says, beloved, beloved. And there's this change of tone that has happened in chapter 2. In the first chapter, you know, he comes out kind of guns blazing as far as this is, this is uh, inconsistent. Or this is what you say if you deny sin in your life. Okay? And he's kind of addressing, in some ways, those who were the, um, speaking heresy in the day. Or the false teachers. But now there's this shift, this, this change of tone to where he's addressing the family, the brethren. And he uses this term beloved, or some of your translations might say dear friends. Like those of you who are, you are loved. Pretty fitting that as he's talking about love, he's going to say, first of all, you're loved. You're the ones that I, that I love. And so you'll see this throughout the rest of this book as well, where he'll say, we're dear, dear children. That's how he started out chapter 2. Dear, dear children, babies, infants, like the ones that just need nurturing and care. We love you. Beloved. And he says, I'm not, I'm not teaching you a new command. Right? It's, it's an old command. <clears throat> now, there's a few ways that we can look at this. When you talk about love, loving one another. Is it a universal ethic that he is appealing to here? 
See, the concept of love has been around since the beginning of time. Every culture could be up for debate, but I, I think it's pretty evident that there is a sense among human cultures, there is a care and there is a need for love in, in the basis of, of their family, of spouses, of their kids. Some awareness of intrinsic love for other people. There's a universal ethic. Might be what he's referring to, but probably not. There's the Old Testament. The initial words of, of the law. Leviticus 19, verse 17, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I, I like this... Uh, where he says, reason frankly with your neighbor. Now, <laughs> we, 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 think, we think in terms of, well, you know, it's, it's normal, like human good citizenship is that we should probably try to work something out. But probably in the culture of the day where it's like if someone and the nation's around, if, if you disagreed with someone or they did something to you, you would just simply try to get them back. And there is evidence of that today, too. There's still some of that happens. But we, we don't take those extremes. But in those days, it was just like someone does something to you. Your, your tendency was just to try to, to seek vengeance on them. And he says, well, reason frankly with, <laughs> with your neighbor. Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. Love them as yourself. This was... A law command from the beginning in the Old Testament. But John might be thinking more particularly of from the beginning being the teachings of Jesus. This is what he has referred to in other times and what he will continue to say. This is something that you have known from the beginning. I started out this book by saying that. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched. Like, these are, this is the beginning of Jesus and his ministry among them. If they were part of a new, you know, group of people that came to know Jesus, no doubt there would have been Christianity 101 classes, new believers classes. And one of the first things that they would have learned was the way of love, because that's the way of Jesus. And as they would be drawn into faith, they would say, this is what the life of Jesus was all about. So as new believers, from the beginning of their faith, this was the new command. Second John, verse 6 says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard it, heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The words of Jesus himself in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So right there, Jesus sets out the measurement, the metric. This is how people are going to recognize you as followers of mine, if you love one another. Very straightforward. That was a new command given by Jesus. 
And so he says it's, a, it's not a new command, and yet it is a new command. So you're kind of like, okay, John, what are you saying? You say it's not new, it's not, you know, but it's kind of new, sort of new. What he's saying is it's both old and new. It's old that you've heard this before and you knew this from the beginning. But it continues to be new. <laughs> new in Christ. See, people in, in this time, they understood that there was two particular ages, what they were, they were in. There was the present age, and there was the age that they believed was to come. This new age that, that Christ brought in. And so he ushered in, he inaugurated this, this new time, this new kingdom. And yet, so the light, as he says, the light is, is dawned in Christ. But it's not yet complete. It's not fulfilled in terms of the fullness of light, not fully realized, as we know today. We still await the fulfillment of what is to come in Christ. All right. So, again, John does this contrasting thing that we talked about last, last week, and he makes it very clear. It's pretty simple. If you love, you're in the light. And this is a, a picture of what it means when you abide with Christ, when you remain in him, when you walk with Jesus, it is light. And you're going to see that because it, the evidence of that is going to be love, how you love people. The contrasting effect is this, is that if you hate your brother, the one who hates is in darkness. He says that you're, they are lost, they are blind, they don't know where they're going. And so that is inconsistent with abiding with Christ. Love and hate. Now, hear me today. Is it, if, you're, if you're here or if you know of somebody that is, is I mean, if you're here today and, and you're wanting to know more about Jesus and more about the Christian faith, then welcome, welcome here. There might have been something in your past or something that is like you're resistant to the things of, of Jesus or the church. Or maybe there's a friend or a family member or someone that you know that they're, they're kind of like antagonistic towards Christianity. And that can be a popular view today. But listen, this is something, what John is describing here. There should be something here that resonates with, with this, these people that are against Christianity. There should be something that says, okay, that's, that's not so bad. From a human perspective or just a, a philosophical perspective or culture of the day, the Christian faith clearly states these things. First of all, love is a big deal. Love is a big deal. It's the greatest commandment to love God and to love others. That is interconnected to our faith. If you, if you know a Christian, you should recognize what love is. You should be loved when you, know, when you experience friendship with that person. Love is a big deal. Secondly, hatred is wrong. So much in our culture today is talking about anti-bullying or, or racism. You know, people that are, are seeking to, um, you know, destroy people who, who God has made. And, and that is, that's never in the heart of God. It's never in our, our teaching and our beliefs is that we should condemn others and hate them. Hatred is wrong. Thirdly, hypocrisy is bad. John calls it out. He says, if, if you are in the light, if you say that you are in the light, but you hate your brother, you're actually in darkness. You're not walking like Jesus walked. 
to love is a, is a command to obey. Now, in that, if, if there's a command that you, you are called to obey, there is the option that, well, maybe you're not going to obey that command. You walk in disobedience to that. And so for us as Christians, we could get that wrong. We can fail to obey it. And that could be what other people see. And the consequences for those unbelievers who observe us can be disastrous. Failure to obey the command to love distances us from being identified as a follower of Jesus. And finally, Jesus showed us real love. By his words and by his actions, Jesus modeled the perfect life of love. So do you see, do you understand what I'm saying here? Is if, you're, if you're someone that says, man, I don't think I could understand Christianity or it's just, I just don't get it. I don't want anything to do with it because I've had a bad experience. This is what John is saying very clearly. You know, this is part of, of what the teachings of Jesus and the way of Jesus is all about. Love is a big deal. Hatred is wrong. Hypocrisy is bad. And Jesus showed us the way. Now, questions that rise out of this is kind of simple. What does it mean to, to hate? What does it mean to love? What is, what is it John really saying about this? Let's talk about hate. What does it mean to hate? John is saying this is, this, uh, hate is, is this a sustained attitude that becomes a habit. Okay, it's a sustained attitude that becomes a habit. It's not just a momentary outburst. As much as that would be like a loss of, of control and we're, we're called to have self-control. But there's moments, right? There's moments where we have an outburst. You know, or, or if, say, you, you have a, a teenager, or maybe you think back, you were a teenager at one time, and, and this was your response. But it, say you had a teenager and they said, Mom, I really want to go out with my friends. And you say to her, well, you haven't got your homework done. You can't go. And tantrum ensues. And your teenager says, I hate you. You're ruining my life. Next day, Mom, I need some money to go to the mall. <laughs> this, this is a, you know, it's a temporary outburst that says, oh, I, I hate you. You're ruining my life. It's not necessarily a sustained attitude. Probably not the right response. Probably not going to help you in your parental relationship. Um, but it can be an outburst of response. Or say that you're, you know, the, the typical, you know, out on the road driving example that we often hear. But it's like, I, I experience this all the time if you're on a motorcycle and people don't see you. And they don't shoulder check and they cut you off. And there's this moment where you're like, ah, I, I hate these Alberta drivers, or whatever, you know. Not exactly, this isn't the, the picture exactly of what, what John is saying. Again, not saying it's a right attitude, not saying it's a right response, but he's talking about a sustained attitude that becomes a habit. It's a disposition of heart that condemns and criticizes out of habit, and it, and it shows that this character you know, it's a, a flaw or a response is not, has not been shaped by the selfless love of God. See, if you're abiding in God, if you're abiding in, in Christ in the presence of God, this is, this is going to shape how you respond in different situations. 
And perhaps this is an area that you haven't submitted in that area of emotion to the lordship of Jesus. And it starts to grow and it starts to fester and it can turn into a habit. This hatred is, is a detesting. Okay? There's, a, there's a word, it's just a really strong, strong, just like it's a detesting of someone. It's extreme. Now, John will go on later in, the, in his book, and we'll talk about this, is where he actually uses the example of Cain, who hated his brother and killed his brother out in the field. So that, that would be, this is the extreme of, of hatred. It's a detesting. 1 John 3, 14 and 15, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is pretty strong, right? This isn't just like, well, I kind of got this, this problem. I hate this person. Like it's, it's like he's saying, no, if you hate someone, you're in this constant habit and you detest them. And if either you, you probably don't get to the point where you say, I, I'm going to take action and kill them. But it could lean towards this strong emotion of like, well, if they were to die, I don't know if I'd be sad. That's pretty strong. But John is saying, you know that you've passed from death to life because of love. And if you don't love, you're remaining in death. It's pretty strong. What John is saying is simply this, is that you cannot cannot coexist, hatred cannot coexist in abiding with Jesus. So far from his character, so far from his priorities, that abiding in Jesus, it will not bring about that, that kind of, of hatred. And that's why he says that person is lost, they're blind, they don't know where they're going. And the fruit of that also or the loss of fruit of that will be that they, they don't experience the joy of fellowship with other believers. Worship is, is cold. Your heart is cold towards God. You pick up the Bible and you read it and it's just like it doesn't come to life to you. And your witness is fruitless. This is the, the response, the effect of ha holding hatred in your heart. What about love? Let's talk about what love is not in terms of, of biblical love that we, we know, we experience, and we, we see in the teachings of Scripture. Love is not this. Love is not a self-gratifying experience. It's not a self-gratifying experience. This is something that our culture, it, it just kind of absorbs. This is what it means to receive love. It's always about taking. And sadly, our, our culture has started, you know, long ago, but it still continues and it's heightened today. It seems that it treats sex as currency for love. And I tell you this, is that, that our, our youth are so caught up in this. They don't, know, they don't know what true love is. And so sex just becomes a currency for love and it doesn't show them what true love is. It's not a self-gratifying experience. Love is not void of truth. It's not void of truth. That doesn't mean simply accepting or agreeing with with someone or, or what they do. You know, if you had a, a child, you're going to the zoo and, and you see there's a 
pen of alligators. I don't know why I thought of alligators. Have you seen alligators in a zoo? Let's just imagine there is a zoo that has alligators. And your child is like, oh, look how cute those alligators are. And your child is I want to go in and pet them. And you're just like, mm, no, not a good idea. Can't go in and play with the alligators. And, and your child just says, I thought you loved me. Love isn't just saying, sure, do whatever you want. Love protects. Or, you know, you have a, a friend or a family member that's, that's engaging in, in some pretty dangerous behavior. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's in a, in a you know, relationship outside of their marriage, and you're just like, okay, I, I love you. But that doesn't mean that I just, just accept or, or tolerate everything that you're doing. Love goes beyond. Tim Keller, who, who also passed away last week, said this, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Okay, so you have, you have love without truth or truth without love. Both are not God's love. It says God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. See, that's, that's a love for Christ, love that Christ has for us. He says, I, I love you but I'm not going to ignore your, your failings and your flaws. It's a truthfulness that still has to be evident to you about that, and yet there's no doubt it's unconditional commitment to us. That's God's love. Love is also not being naive about those who would seek to harm or deceive us. There's scriptures that tell us to be, be discerning, to be shrewd, Especially when it comes, as, as it happens in this text, about dealing with false teachers. It's like there is, there is a love and there's a God's love and there's, not a, there's not, a, not a hatred. But there's also, okay, keep a distance, be watchful, be careful, set boundaries. All right, what is love? Lots of things I could say on this for days, but a few things. First of all, love is self-donating action. That's God's love. That's evidenced for us in Christ. It's giving of yourself, sacrificing yourself. Romans 5 verse 8 is a verse that you should all know uh, off by heart. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love. He didn't say, hey, love you guys. Love you. Love you. He demonstrated. He sacrificed his life. Laid his life down. For us. Love is more than words. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Just this beautiful picture of, of all these words describing what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always 
perseveres. Now in this passage, as we've talked about, you could look at the extremes of love and extremes of hate. You'd say the extreme of love would be as Jesus modeled, the ultimate sacrifice. Laying down your life for someone. Extreme hate would be actually taking someone's life, ending a life. And listen, these will most likely not be our daily experiences. But we have to look at what is the seed that has germinated in our hearts. Love or hate. Love considers the value of another. Recognizing that that person, each person, anyone that you meet is made in the image of God. And that person is one that Christ loves. And that Christ died for, just like you. To love like Jesus loved may not mean the ultimate sacrifice. But it could mean self-donating in a way that, that demonstrates love. And doing that every day. Asking yourself the question, how can I love? How can I give? How can I share what I have, who I am with the people around me? When we think of hate as devaluing a life, the seed of anger and jealousy or when someone thinks differently than you, votes differently than you. Think of your words that, that tear down, that criticize or do harm. As we close today, I want to get really practical or really um, contextual with us here as a body of believers at College Drive. In our fellowship, let me ask you this. Do you realize the harm of broken relationships and the refusal to forgive and to reconcile? There's great harm. You may not think about it. You might think it's just my little corner. It might just be my little piece. It might be my little orange pew that I'm sitting on right now. And, and it doesn't affect the person that's on the other side of this auditorium. Let me tell you that you're wrong. It affects us deeply. See, if there's someone that, that you don't want to cross paths with in the foyer, that you avoid, that you go out a different way, you don't want to meet them in the parking lot, so you park a distance away. You don't want to run into that person at the grocery store. You see them on the aisle. You turn and you go out. You go another way. If there's someone that you hesitate to pray for, if you hesitate to speak blessing over their life, if there's someone that is coming to mind right now that you are harboring resentment or anger towards, let me tell you this very clearly. It is damaging our church. It damages the unity of our church, and it is a barrier to the gospel proclamation. So you're living in clear opposition to the teachings of Jesus. I think that's so evident from what we see in this passage in John. It's clearly opposed to the teachings of Jesus, to the words of Jesus as he echoes the teachings of Jesus. And it's contrary to the very heart of the gospel. So I want to tell you this very clearly today. Today is, is a good day. 
Yesterday was better. But we don't have yesterday. We have today. And so today is a great day to make a call, to send an email, to shoot a text and say, let's get together. There's something between us. I've got an issue. You said something. You hurt me. Or maybe the Spirit would reveal to you something that you've said, something that you've done to someone, and you sense it, and you know that there's something that is not right between you. Today is the day. Don't, don't allow your lack, your hesitation. It's not going to be like, oh, man, I wish that person was dead or I'm going to do something about it. It starts, there's a seed that starts in that. And that harms the body. And I'll say this, if it's something that, that I've done as your pastor, please, please talk to me about it. I will, I will make it right. I'm sure that I've probably done something or said something to you that has hurt you. I'm human. If it's someone on our leadership, on our, our board of elders, address it with them. Go to them. We're not perfect. If it's something that's in your, in your life group, something that has stirred up in your, among your fellowship and, and suddenly now you have a lack of fellowship, you need to make that right. It's not easy, but loving is never easy. Can I urge you? And if you're the one that gets that message or that text and says, hey, I want to talk, would you be open and receptive to what the Spirit is saying to you? Would you be quick to forgive? Would you be, be quick to apologize? It's for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our body. So I say to you today, what, what's love got to do with it? It's everything. Let's pray. God, you, you love your church, the bride. As imperfect as we are, as broken as we are, as sinful as we are, uh, God, by your grace, you have called us to be brothers and sisters, to be unified in love. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that among us today you would stir in our hearts, that you would help us to have courage to be bold. Uh, Lord, to love as you loved. And that there would be just nothing that would be a barrier to what you are doing here among us and what you want to do beyond our church into our community. That people around would look at us and say, just as Jesus said, they will know that we are followers of yours because of how we love each other.